Thank you for listening to Ivy Podcast, where we feature weekly leadership conversations with thought leaders and industry experts. Now, here is your host, Fred Obiero. Hello, and welcome to the Ivy Podcast. My guest today is Daryl Maraj, CTO of GA Telesis. Hey, Daryl, how's it going? Hey, Fred, good morning. Before we start this episode, I have one small request to our listeners. As we continue to grow the Ivy Podcast, we would appreciate if you would take just a minute of your time to leave us a review on the show, because reviews make a huge difference to podcast channels like ours. Now, time for the episode with Daryl. So Daryl, why don't you get us started by giving us a brief introduction about yourself and your company? Absolutely. So uh, my name again is Daryl Maraj. I'm currently serving as the Senior Vice President and Chief Technology Officer at GA Telesis. Um, GA Telesis is an international aerospace company headquartered here in South Florida. We are a global leader in the commercial aviation space with strong roots as uh, lessor a parts distributor, um, and we also operate maintenance and repair facilities around the globe. Um, we, just to give you some premise on that, we work with all major global um, commercial airlines, um, original uh-huh. equipment manufacturers such as Boeing, Airbus, Honeywell, GE, and the like. And we also work with financial institutions, you know, to manage um, aircraft assets um, as well, because that is a part of their asset portfolio. Wonderful. Thanks for that. You're also a founding member of Miami CIO. Talk to us uh, about why you founded this organization and what are some of the objectives you plan on accomplishing? Yeah, absolutely. So Miami CIO actually is now rebranded as uh, South Florida CIO, and that's mainly to be more inclusive and reflective of all three counties, Palm Beach, Broward, and Miami-Dade. Um, South Florida CIO is part of a larger network um, called Inspire CIO. It's a national network of a thousand plus connected CIOs who represent companies over a hundred million in revenue. So why did I join this organization and help found it here in South Florida? Um, Well, first of all, I was nominated for at the time Miami CIO of the year in the enterprise category. And I I became a winner of it. And then they asked um, to start a chapter here in South Florida. And I thought it would be amazing based on the people that um, they approached. So I joined as a founding member because this organization, you know, represents um, a preeminent group of leaders across the country, right? And across industries who I thought I could learn from. Some of the founding members were people like Anne Dozier um, of Southern Glaciers Wine and Spirits, um, Hernando Salida over at ChenMed, uh, Ena Zarate, DHL, and the infamous Larry Quinlan, global, um, former global CIO of Deloitte, who is also in the CIO Hall of Fame, I might add, right? Our primary okay. mission, right, was to um, un- set under the founding chair, Anne Dozier, was to track and retain um, and elevate the talent pool here in South Florida, the technology talent pool, that is, um, while making a positive difference in 
community we serve, right? So for the past year, we worked on building this extraordinary advisory board across South Florida. And I promise you, um, this is a well-represented group uh, that we've put together, right? And they're going to make a major impact here in South Florida. Um, anyone wanting to learn a little bit more of it can also, you know, visit SouthFloridaCIO.org. Um, and you can see all of the advisory members and the industries and uh, people that they represent. Thanks for that. And we'll make sure to include the um, URL of South Florida CIO on the episode notes so that our listeners can have easy access to it. Now, I want to follow up on something that you said, the, that the, uh, the chapter in, uh, only attracts CIOs with um, revenues whose companies have generated revenues of over $100 million, um, per year. What's the driving factor behind that? Let's say I was a CIO of a company what, you know, that has $75 million in, in revenue. Is there a distinguishing factor between those two criteria? Um, I think the criteria is set at a national level to channel the um, the conversations that happen inside of um, the advisory board and that happen uh-huh. with each other, right? So as as people progress through their careers and as as they get into these larger companies, they deal with a different type of problem. Doesn't mean it's not the same technology problems. Correct. But it at a at a much different scale and level, right? So, um, if you take some of the members that we have, um, uh, Margaret Brisbane from uh, Miami Dade, right? She mm-hmm. is having so um, the conversations that we're having with Margaret are on such a different level to the conversations I would have um, even within my own team, right? So, uh, I think that was set forward just basically to get the right a certain level of people inside of the room because you're no longer actually dealing um with real real technology problems you're actually dealing right. with these problems right um, whereas smaller companies are still figuring out and dealing with actual technology issues you're dealing with business problems and elevating your your organization to the next level and i think that was one of the distinguishing factor it's not meant to be um uh, something that omits people from the organization, of course. We yeah, it's have- not a screening factor. It's more for more mature organizations and, and how they deal with things. Correct. Got it. So this is actually a good segue to my next question. The role of the CTO today is vastly different compared to the role of a CTO, let's say, seven or 10 years ago. What are some of the newer skills that CTOs need to have in order to help their organizations implement sound strategic business decisions? So that's a great observation, Fred. Um, I would also add that the COVID pandemic also accelerated the development and acceptance Definitely. Of, of the CTO yep. role as a key player in business strategy, right? Um, the, CTO's, the CTO's primary role has evolved into an external-facing um, role responsible for building technology products and services that meet customer needs, right? So starting there, um, a CTO must have a complete understanding of the business and the consumer, right? A CTO Uh should be able to build an agile organization, one that's able to quickly prototype in a safe and with a safe environment to experiment and fail. Um, A CTO should also be able to decouple and modularize business processes to unlock new business value. Think how the pandemic changed business models overnight and what organizations had to change in order to... Oh, absolutely. In a short amount of time. A very short amount of time. We saw an accelerated um, adoption of technology 
pretty much with the snap of a finger overnight. Um, and just two other points to add to that, right? Um, having a seat at the table, but more importantly, being able to effectively communicate at the C level and also at the board level. Um, and I would say one of the key uh, the key value sets for your team um, and and being effective in a role is being able to you know map out customer journeys, develop go to market strategies, and effectively increase your company's revenue by delivering amazing and sticky customer experiences, right? That's that's how I think um, the CTO is now involved at a business level and why mm -hmm. the CTO is accepted at the C-roll. One of the things that uh, was catalyzed during the pandemic is, you know, the adoption of the cloud. And cloud migration has become a vital strategy choice for lots of companies. Please describe to us some of the biggest challenges you've seen companies face when it comes to modernizing their computing infrastructure. Got it. Um, kind of a uh, loaded answer to that, right? So if I I'm know, right, <laughs> so break it down the best you can. Exactly. So um, I'll try. So Fred, you know, if I may be so bold to say that cloud migration is a tactic or rather an operational process that is meant to serve mm -hmm. a bigger strategy. If I can start there and set, you know, set the stage from there, um, I would say the biggest challenge I see companies face is um, my, with migrating to the crowd is having a proper strategy in place, right? For example, a company might want to increase their agility and speed of delivery um, for new, you know, digital customer experiences. They may want to increase their scalability without the upfront capital expenditure. Um, they might, might want to reduce their cost and complexity of IT operations, right? So you you brought up the pandemic. So the pandemic um, basically, uh, if companies were agile and they were already on the cloud, right? We had and we had and we still have um, a lot of issues with in the supply chain with even getting mm -hmm. new equipment in and stuff. So forget even the capital expenditure. You couldn't even get new equipment in. So if your company was agile enough to start adopting some of these um, cloud experiences, they solve for real business needs. They solve for scalability. They solve for providing new digital customer experiences because because think of all the small restaurants and stuff like that, that basically had to go online overnight, right? They never even took orders um, online. They were a mom and yeah. pop came in or you called in your order. All of a sudden, they had to integrate with things like delivery dudes um, or Uber Eats or something like that. So they had to they had to adopt all of these things because it's solved for a real business problem, which is why I say, you know, cloud migration is a tactic or a tool um, that's it's an operational right and it solves for a real business problem so i think the just finishing that thought is companies that are seeking to address a real business problem and set a strategy around addressing those business problems can use cloud to increase their agility speed of delivery things like that reduce their capital expenditure reduce their complexity of it operations those are benefits, but they're not they're not necessarily a strategy. It serves a, a bigger strategy. Common mistakes I see in the past with this is um, lift and shifts, right? That where business uh -huh. leaders push a cloud migration initiative, 
um, because of external pressure to do so, right? Um, without a real strategic outcome attached to the project. And they find out really quickly uh, by not refactoring and taking things that were running on premise and just shifting it to the cloud where it doesn't really actually solve a business related problem um, or has a strategic uh, objective in mind that it solves a business problem. It just, it becomes a, um, we, it becomes a change in costs on your books, right? It becomes a financial yeah. question. That's, that's about it. It doesn't really solve any new business need or provide you any kind of agility. If there was no refactoring, if you just lifted and shifted, good luck. <laughs> so what you're saying in essence is there may be situations where migration to the cloud at that point may not be ideal for some companies or some departments. Absolutely. That's good to know. Um, next question. So innovation is an important concept for any company that wants to stay competitive in the ever-changing business landscape. Where does innovation fit in when fit in when you think of digital transformation, especially given the change we've seen since the beginning of the pandemic? Absolutely. Another um great question also a loaded question um because and and by the way for this question i wanted you to take uh, a stab at it from a new company let's say a startup like five to seven year old company and also a viewpoint of a maturing company and how they view innovation absolutely okay so digital and digital transformation means different things to different people right um uh you know it can be internally or externally focused right so in the case of what you just brought up for a new company, that's probably externally focused. In the case of an existing uh, longer-term company, right, where they're looking at workforce management and stuff, that could also be internally facing. So starting off there in terms of it meaning different things to different people, um, you know, digital transformation is the integration of digital technologies in all areas of business, right? Um, mm -hmm. It results in fundamental changes to how bus our businesses operate and how we deliver value to our end customers. That's that's it in a nutshell. So for a small company, agility is key. Reducing their upfront costs uh, is key, right? So um, right. starting off on digital platforms, right, means that you don't have a capital expenditure, right? So we were talking about cloud, for example, right, as, as a mm -hmm. means Everything to... Everything is, you know, you just subscribe and, and you can scale up or down as needed. As needed. And and it takes you literally 15 minutes to get started, if that much, right? You need a credit card uh -huh. and an internet connection. And that's how easily you can start a business today. Um, so, you know, starting there and then mapping out your processes um, gives you, and a young organization gives you flexibility um, to change really quickly, right? And to adapt mm -hmm. to change really quickly. And that's what we saw in the pandemic with some of these younger businesses um, that were able to grow exponentially um, because of their adoption of technology and the way that they were being agile and, and using it. And coming back all right, to, um, to older organizations or more mature organizations, I should say, right? Um, mm -hmm. Digital transformation means something completely different because it, while we're seeking agility, what you're also trying to figure out is how can you decouple some of these processes so that you can unlock value in them, right? So I'll give you an example of that. 
Um, and this example is aviation related. So, you know, we have all of these processes to manage customer inventory, for example. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and we would have to take a stance back as a technology team and ask a question, hey, what is the customer looking for in this, right? So today, if, if airline X gives us all of their inventory and we house it in one of our facilities, right? And it's a consignment arrangement, meaning that we'll house it, we'll ship it back to them as they need so they don't have to worry about warehousing and logistics and that kind of stuff. But we'll also create a monetary value behind it and sell it if they don't need it, right? And do profit sharing. Well, a lot of times when this exists in our industry, the airline gives you the inventory and they lose they lose sight of it. They lose real-time um, sight of what's available, what's still available, and they get monthly reporting and stuff. So something like that, where we digitally uh -huh. transformed it, is we said, okay, we're going to take technology and fix a problem. And what's the problem? Backward approach, right? Amazon made uh -huh. this most famous. I'm the customer. What am I lacking? What I, what do in a perfect world, what do I need? Well, I need instant visibility to see what's still there so I can know if I can recall it or something like that. I need to be again recall that inventory. I want to know uh -huh. what sales looks like, this, that, the other. So we took that business problem, worked our way backwards, decoupled our processes, and said, Oh, okay, here's how we manage consignments, here's how we manage the recall process, the warehousing process. And we decoupled all of that. And then over time, those become assets. So now we have another airline come in and do something similar. May not be the exact same problem, but you know what? We've already carved out all of these little modular assets because the, the main difference here is that in a five to seven person brand new company, you're creating as you go to solve business right. problems. In this, in this instance, in a more mature company, you're actually decoupling processes that have been built over years to see over where years you, and they're more complex. More complex, right. And you're trying to see where you can, if you decouple these, where can you reuse them? And companies that did that basically maintained their agility and were able to quickly transform different things and create net new processes throughout the pandemic, right? Our company was a yeah. good example of that. And we did that and we survived where others didn't survive during the pandemic, right? We saw um, people in our industry close their doors um, forever. And that's that's sad, but that's because they haven't um, explored or gone through that process. And and for that process, is that driven by analytics, you would say? Um, it can be. It, it definitely can be, right? Uh, what, you know, what I would say there is that that process is um, business owners um, having mm -hmm. an insatiable appetite for their customers and trying to figure out how can they serve better, right? How can they serve their customers internal or external, whether you're serving your employees internally um, or whether you're serving the, an external customer that's customer facing to your business. So I have a scenario here for the next question. Um, assume I'm working for a large company. And for our listeners out there working for different companies, how can anyone know that their company is digitally transformed? Is there anything in particular to look for um, as far as the latest industry trends that may impact digital transformation? So candidly, I don't know that I have the best answer to that, but I will give you my take on it, right? I would say- Your take is important. <laughs> <laughs> So I would say to anyone listening, digital transformation is an evolving journey, 
right? Um, I, what I can do is, is put out a framework, a sanity check, right? To see if processes can be digitally transformed. Um, so if you take any process inside of your business, right? And map it out, any, any process inside of the organization and map it out, something that you're responsible for. Analyze those steps and functions to reproduce the end results, make sure you have it, and then give it to a colleague see if they can easily repro reproduce it, right? What that would do is it will help you identify any kind of missteps there. Like Fred, I can't move to the next. Um, I, I can't get to this step because something's missing here, right? So it'll help you identify right. any kind of missteps. After you go through that process, right? Identify all the manual steps and functions, right? Identify roadblocks, identify where, um, where there is a person sitting in a chair that it stops a process, for example, right? Um, identify repeatable steps and functions, and then identify those steps and functions where technology can play a role in in helping to alleviate the problem, right? Um, and are those processes the same for other functions in your business? And the reason that last question is, is important is because that's when you start decoupling processes, right? That's when mm -hmm. you say, okay, um, let's give a, a random example, right? You're you're a brand new company, um, you receive, uh, you don't have an online system yet, but you're receiving orders via form on your website, it's coming to an email, that email, right. someone is responsible for taking the information, that email and keying it into a system. A lot and of it, manual inputs. A lot of manual inputs. So if you, if that doesn't happen, you don't move to the, the ordering department doesn't even see it to fulfill it, right? So they become uh, someone that is um, stopping that process from moving forward, right? So can we yeah. use technology there to alleviate? Um, and that's a random example, right? That I literally just but it up. but it applies. And and by the way, I like how you you broke it down to a more like lower level, so you don't even look at it from an organization perspective. Start small, look at department by department, and see. What are our processes functioning like today? Can we improve them, right? Correct. Exactly. And and that, this is an exercise that anyone can do, right? Because you're going back to your question, anyone listening to this, this can go back and look at any process within their organization and go through these steps without, there's no technology involved here, right? There's nothing complicated yeah. about it. This is a process and you're mapping out that process. And then you backfill because as mentioned before, technology, all it is, is an enabler, right? It is a tool in our tool set to get to a better place of serving our need. So if we do this, then we identify where we can actually involve technology rather than taking technology and chasing a problem. Thanks for that. So my last favorite question is, what has helped you to get to where you are? And what, what of advice would you give to someone that wants to pursue a career that's similar to yours? So I have a mixed bag, right? My differentiating factor, um, unlike most technologists, um, but I, I have met people in the field that have the same background. I went to school and I did marketing and finance. It has nothing to do with technology. Um, I did marketing and finance because anything you do, you got to market it to others, right? You always, you always um, explaining your ideas and selling it to someone else. And I did finance because in any company, you create value for the organization and for its shareholders. So I thought that those worked really well and I fell into the technology space. Good. 
were there any people that that helped guide you maybe mentors that you think people should at least try and get a mentor for themselves or was it just you understanding what you wanted to accomplish and doing the things that led you up to that so great great point um mentors help a lot mentors um basically help you understand um the things that you don't know that you don't know right and yeah. they they remove those um those roadblocks that you don't even see those blinders that are right in front of you that you look past and you don't even notice that they're on so i would say that was a very great addition um and and i've had some spectacular mentors um throughout the years and i continue to have mentors that i have random conversations with just to help me see beyond that right so if i were to give you a list of things right I, I would quickly say um have an insatiable appetite for learning and working with others uh -huh. solve big problems understand technology is merely a tool that serves a need and understand the need first right not the technology but the need first um network with others right coming back to your point in terms of like mentorship and stuff like that uh, another form of that is networking with others learn as much as you can um and work on problems that are as diverse as they can be because what that would even problems that have nothing to do with your job that helps with diversity of thought the reward will be that out of the box thinking that that you get from that right learn how to be right. agile um and not set in your ways not set in what you know understand um what you don't know and then seek others to help fill that gap again mentorship helps with that um, learn to use visual tools to quickly prototype and collaborate with others right because when people see something it's much easier for them to understand right a picture tells uh -huh. words is is the adult added share um, learn how to journey um, customer journey map right how to identify those aha customer moments it will help you uh -huh. make stickier products and services that delight your customers Learn how to produce a go-to-market strategy that's really important for you and your organization and, and how people pivot forward into this career. And above all else, going back to my very first point, keep learning, right? Those are the things that I yeah. think. Never help. stop learning. Yep. Daryl, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. This has been fascinating. Thank you, Fred. I appreciate you inviting me on and um, I, I hope to talk to you again in the near future. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Ivy Podcast. Please take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.